Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side LC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, everyone. This is Talea Dindi from OnTheOtherSide.life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Dr. Louise Lubin. Dr. Lubin is a licensed clinical psychologist in Norfolk, Virginia, who has practiced adult, marital, and family therapy for nearly 40 years. With a focus on survivorship and chronic and life-threatening illnesses, Dr. Lubin has developed programs and a website, Many Paths to Healing, for hospital systems and physician groups to provide patients with the necessary tools to cope and manage the challenges of illness. Dr. Lubin is a retired community faculty at the Eastern Virginia Medical School and a lifetime member of the American Psychological Association and the National Register of Health Providers. She has recently published Your Journey Beyond Breast Cancer, Tools for the Road. It's an interactive guide for women at any stage of their cancer journey. Dr. Lubin, what an impressive background. Thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you, Talia. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you, Dr. Lubin. Please tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing. And after that, I would really like to dive into how is healing different from the cure? Again, thank you for having me. I have always been interested in the mind-body-spirit connection and how we must take an integrative whole-person approach when we're dealing with 
actually any serious life-threatening illness, but in this case, cancer. When I talk to you about healing, what I'm really talking about is trying to achieve a sense of wholeness and balance. Wholeness with the W, H-O-L-E. And the reality is that cure, which is what everyone wants when they get a diagnosis of any serious illness, particularly cancer, cure is the absence of physical disease. Of course, we all want that when we're diagnosed. But the reality is that there are people who may not be able to achieve a cure, despite the amazing contributions and the developments that have happened in medicine. But healing is something that we all need to aim for. And my goal has been throughout my career to try and provide people the tools they need to manage and cope so that they can restore and renew and rebuild themselves after a diagnosis of cancer. I don't really think that any of us come into this world knowing all we need to know and particularly how to cope with this kind of challenging event. And the reality is that cancer demands, demands that you get information and you learn how to take care of yourself physically and emotionally and spiritually. We all work towards healing. So again, the doctors bring what they can to cure. We have to bring as the patient, as the person, what we need to heal. And again, there are, I believe if my statistics are right, there's 18 million cancer survivors as of January, 2022 in this country. Mm -hmm. And many people are living with cancer. Of course, everyone wants a cure, but the reality is that people can and do live with cancer and can move towards healing. Thank you so much, Dr. Lubin, for explaining and giving us more insight what the difference is between the two, because sometimes... Unfortunately, they're used interchangeably. And as you just displayed to us here, they're very different. For the folks that have to live with cancer and there is no cure, in what ways do you support or help them? I think, again, as you said initially, everyone is an individual, okay? And the needs that people have are as unique as each of them. But I think that One of the things that's really important when someone is living with cancer is to recognize that they have to challenge some of their assumptions as to how they thought their life was going to be and how it may be different. It does not always have to be less than, but it certainly may be different. I think that one of the things that is so challenging in dealing with cancer is dealing with the unknown. And again, we all recognize that uncertainty is a part of life. And we've all been living with a certain level of uncertainty over yeah. the last couple of years. However, I think that particularly for a disease like cancer, there is a lot of uncertainty and fear about the future. One of the most important things that I try to help people do is to learn the tools and the skills needed to try and live in the present. Now, the present isn't always good, okay? The present can be difficult. The present can be challenging. And I think that the real hard part of this is being able to take a look at what's going on with you and to look at what you need and to look at how you're going to try and control what you can control. Mm -hmm. Because so much feels so out of control 
when one has a diagnosis like cancer. Again, there's not a simple answer as to how does someone cope once they have to live with cancer. I think the reality is it's about learning what you need given the specifics of your situation in the present moment. And it's changing. It's always changing for people. And the big thing is being able to communicate. We do know that a fighting spirit is an important part of moving forward and managing as effectively as one can. To not feel like a victim is an important piece of this. And again, nobody asks for cancer, okay? It's an opportunity that nobody wants to have. But the reality is that when one has been tasked with this, it is really about how am I going to take charge of what I can take charge of? What do I need to learn and how do I need to communicate and be my best advocate? Because what one person needs is not what somebody else needs. Could not agree more, Dr. Lubin. And that's one thing that I really love about your programs and the work that you're doing is that you realize that everyone's different. They have different needs. And I'm hoping it's getting a little bit better, but I'm hoping that really becomes a model in cancer care instead of having this cookie cutter approach to everyone, which simply doesn't work. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, I think there is much more of an awareness today in what we define as survivorship. Mm -hmm. And survivorship goes way beyond after someone completes treatment. When we get a diagnosis, we want numbers. How many people have survived this? Or what's the ratio of positive response to this drug? And we need some of that information. But it is so important to realize that we're not a number. And I have learned this over the years. I've worked with women who I really wondered, how are they going to manage this treatment? Their diagnosis seems so, so difficult and so complicated. And yet they have managed. They have found a way through that treatment. I know this term's used a lot, but there is something to be said about a new normal. And again, everyone's got to define that for themselves. And that's the challenge of becoming someone who is dealing with cancer, as well as the people around them. Yes. Dr. Lubin, you mentioned previously assumptions. What are some inaccurate assumptions others make about cancer patients? I think one assumption is based on people's desire and concern about the patient. But one assumption is that things are going to go back to normal once people have finished their treatment. And again, that is often coming from people's desire for things. When things are going well, we want them to stay the same. When things are not going well, we want them to change. Yeah. Reality is that life can resume very much like it did before cancer, but particularly for the patient, the lens and the filter that they look through has changed. And it doesn't just go back to the picture that it was before. I think another assumption is that when the doctor says, your tests are all good, the scans are clean, we don't need to see you for six months, mm -hmm. that the patient is going to feel relieved and just go back to the way it was. And that hasn't been my experience with individuals. I use the metaphor of when you get a diagnosis, it's right in front of your face and you can't even 
think about anything else. And with time and good health, that cancer or that sense of cancer, that word, that whole being of cancer kind of moves a bit to the background. And with a lot of time and good health, maybe it even goes to the back. And then there can be any kind of trigger. There can be a scan. There can be a symptom that you don't understand. And wow, right back in your face. So it's learning to live with the uncertainty, I think is really one of the greatest challenges for cancer. Another assumption that people have is that everybody who gets cancer gets really depressed. And the Mm -hmm. reality is that's really not necessarily the case. There are certainly individuals who become, in my parlance, diagnostically labeled that they may have a depressive diagnosis, okay? But most people manage to find a way to adjust. So clinically, most people don't get clinically depressed. People get sad, people grieve, people struggle, people are anxious. But again, most people do not necessarily get clinically depressed. A lot of people think that everybody, if you got cancer, you got to be depressed. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily so. Another assumption is that cancer patients need everybody around them to be hopeful and optimistic. And again, I think that we all need hope. We don't need a lot of negative energy around us when we're struggling with cancer. But I think realistic optimism is a whole lot more preferred than someone saying, oh, don't worry, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. That's really not helpful. For, for cancer patients. <laughs> Another assumption that I've actually mentioned and I deal with in my book, Talea, is the assumption that death is failure. And I want to just briefly, and again, that's another whole conversation, but it is. the reality is that most of us are not ready to easily accept that we are dying or that we are at a place where there are no other medical options for us, nor are the people around us often ready to say goodbye to someone. Death is a part of life. We all know that. A lot of people never even get in touch with their mortality until they get a diagnosis like cancer. And it's sobering. It's incredibly sobering and it's frightening. But I also want to say that I think it's important for particularly people who are part of a community around a cancer patient to realize that people have the right to decide when they have done as much as they need to do and they are ready to stop treatment, that it is not that they're quitting, okay? It is that they're making a choice as to what they need and what they want. And again, other people may not be comfortable with that decision. Obviously, we want to make sure that someone's making that decision with as much mental capacity and awareness as they can. We have to, as a society, somewhat shift our view about that death is not necessarily failure. Mm-hmm. So those are some of I'm sure there's others, but these are some of the ones that have come up a lot in my work. Thank you, Dr. Lubin, for walking us through those assumptions. Very important. One thing that I want to go a little bit more in depth on is uncertainty. And you talked about being in the present, trying to be in the present as much as possible. Are there other ways that patients can manage the uncertainty and the what if thinking after a diagnosis? We are biologically wired to anticipate 
danger and to have fear and anxiety when we are facing what feels like potential danger, which is what cancer can feel like. As a result, we have to recognize that we may not be able to stop the anxiety and the fear because anxiety is about the future, what's going to happen. And the future is often very unknown when one begins a cancer journey. So being able to, first of all, calm your body because your autonomic nervous system the sympathetic part of that, the arousal part is going to get stimulated. You go in and the doctor's telling you something that feels very frightening or you don't understand. There's many different triggers for that kind of what if. And part of the issue is recognizing that you are in this hyper aroused state. And there's two parts of that. One is your body. I have found that the quickest, and I also say the cheapest way to calm yourself is to just breathe, to stop and breathe. And again, it's not that chest breathing that we get when we're anxious, trying to use our diaphragm and to slow breathing in and slowly breathing out. It's simple. It's right there. And it will begin to focus you and calm you down. Because when you're anxious like that, you can't think straight. How many times have all of us gone into the doctor and walked out and said, what'd they say? I don't know what they said. <laughs> yes. I, I can't remember. I'm confused. Did they say this? Did, you know? So our mind is not functioning with all of our capacity when we're in that state. So the first thing is calming your body. And the breath is the easiest way to do that. The other piece of this is recognizing that we are always talking to ourselves. Now, I don't mean that we're schizophrenic and we have a mental illness. We are all talking to ourselves nonstop. And to recognize that there is power in your thoughts. We do not have control over everything that can happen to us, but we do have control over the way we think about what is happening to us. And Becoming aware and stopping. I use, I have it in my book. I talk about it. And it's not just with cancer patients. I talk about my stop tool. When you get really anxious and what if this, what if this, and what if the treatment, imagine a big red stop sign. The S is stop what you're doing or you're thinking, stop. The T is take a breath because the breath is going to slow you down. The O is move inside a little bit. Observe the O, observe what's going on inside of me. What is it that I need right now? What's happening? And then the P is proceed in what I need to do now. And it's taking a stop. It's like taking a mindful pause. During the pandemic, I used to say to my clients, when you go to wash your hands, take it as, because we were washing our hands a lot. Yes. <laughs> take a moment and just become aware of what you're doing. Calm your breath, slow down, be in touch with your senses, be in touch with the water and the soap and how your hands are feeling as you rub the soap between your fingers. Take a mindful pause 
because it brings you into the present. It, it is not the panacea for everything, but I will say this. Mindfulness is basically being in the present moment. The hard part of that definition is without judgment. That's the, yeah. that's the, that's, that's, tough. The, that's the tough one. Okay. But part of what we're saying is when we are more grounded in the present moment. Now, the present moment isn't always pleasant. Not saying that. It's, this is not, we're aiming for bliss. Maybe we are, but we're not going to find it that easily. <laughs> but the reality is that when we are more grounded and calm within ourselves, we are able to make better choices for ourselves. And if you can slow down your thinking, then you are more able to make those decisions that are best for you. I really love the STAP tool. It's a good I, one. Yes, I encourage the audience to write that down as well and use that. As Dr. Lubin just explained, it's very easy to do. You just have to pause and be mindful that this practice is available to you at no cost and it can be used anytime. Absolutely. We can all imagine a red stop sign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've all seen those. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an easy one. Dr. Lubin, how can patients tell others what they really need? This is a big one. The challenge of this is that you as a cancer patient have to learn to be assertive. You have to be able to take the risk to communicate to people what it is that you need and you want. For example, you might be hopefully strong enough, assertive enough, and empowered enough to be able to say to someone, please don't say to me, everything will be fine or I don't have anything to worry about. As much as I know that you care about me, it feels like it is denying the struggle that I'm going through. Most people really do mean well. The reality is that when someone sees a perfectly healthy person or someone they perceive as perfectly healthy, come down with a diagnosis of cancer, they get scared because they identify, oh my goodness, That could happen to me. And when people get anxious, (laughs) they say the darndest things. They they say the darndest things. And the reality is a lot of those things are meant to really show the patient that they care, but it really almost feels negating and it feels off-putting for a lot of people. It's important for a patient to be able to say to someone, I do understand and I hear that Aunt Rose had the same treatment and she did great. And that's wonderful. But the reality is that comparisons really aren't all that helpful for me. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm me and it's good to hear. The other thing is people even say, oh my gosh, I had this and they died. It's just not <laughs> helpful. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And I think the key is the patient has got to stand up for him or herself. You don't have yeah. to be angry to do it. Okay, but you do have to be clear. I say this in my chapter about the idea of with communication. People don't know what you need or want unless you don't <laughs> care how long somebody's been married, how well you think somebody knows you. People do not know what you need unless you tell them. Now, they then have to believe that you're telling them what you feel. As far as our role as a patient, we have to set the stage. We have to set some boundaries. Yes. Now, boundaries aren't walls, but boundaries, we all have boundaries. Our properties have boundaries. Your body often feels very invaded as a cancer patient. True. Poked and prodded. And we have to establish our boundaries. 
And we do that by letting other people know what we need and what we don't need. I think a lot of people, particularly when they're first diagnosed or in their middle of treatment, they need space. And they need to be able to say to people, I so much appreciate your good feelings. If I don't call you, please don't assume that you're not on my favorite friend list. I think it's about recognizing that you have to let other people know that number one, you don't expect them to take away all of your feelings. I think that's where people get caught up with patients. Mm -hmm. You know, they feel responsible. That's right. Like they have to do something. They have to Mm -hmm. do something. And I think it's important to let people know that the greatest gift sometimes, always, that we can give someone sometimes is to just be present and to listen. And that's hard. That's really hard for a lot of people. And yet I have a slide that said the word listen has the same letters as silent. (laughs) True. (laughs) And listening and communicating is often a whole lot more about listening than it is about talking. It's so true, Dr. Lubin. And in society, we are taught in a sense that we should always be saying and doing something. And a lot of people get really uncomfortable with that silence. So they dive in there and they're like, I got to say something. It's too quiet. I'm uncomfortable. But being able to be in that quiet space and be okay with that and know that that is actually normal is a good thing. I think lots of times that's where a healing environment really begins Yeah, in listening and recognizing that really the greatest gift you can give someone is to be present. And to be present means that you're not caught up in your own anxiety, that you can't be there for them. None of us likes to feel powerless. None of us does. And so many times the people in a cancer patient's world feel powerless. A lot of the emotions that patients feel, the members of their family feel the same feelings. And it's important to realize that cancer doesn't happen in isolation. It really impacts all the people around you. Now, I don't say that so that the cancer patient can feel guilty that they've caused all this pain for people. That's a real problem, particularly for many of the women I have worked with over the years. (laughs) Yes. And that doesn't help. It doesn't help to feel guilty about all the challenges that you're bringing to your family. Like I said, nobody chose to have cancer. And another whole conversation is about working through any kind of guilt that is so counterproductive, so counterproductive to feel guilty about having cancer. You can accept and acknowledge that the disease has caused a lot of challenges to you and to the people around you, but that's different from feeling guilty. (laughs) That's true. Dr. Lubin, to piggyback on that, another common reaction to cancer is anger. How can someone diagnosed with cancer determine how angry they are and how can they manage their anger so it doesn't hinder them? First of all, anger is a normal emotion. Fear is a normal emotion. There's lots of emotions that we have. And I will say that in my experience, lots of times underneath anger is fear. Identifying when you're angry has a lot to do with recognizing how are you expressing your emotions? Are you saying things in a way that is coming out so powerfully and pushing people away? I think that's one thing that's important to realize. First of all, personally, 
anger makes me sick. Mm -hmm. When I feel angry, I am not in a good place. And again, lots of things have happened and we have justification for feeling angry. Feeling angry and acting angry are two different things though. Yes. And I think that when we feel angry and distressed inside, it's not healthy for us. It's not healthy because it's arousal. It's autonomic arousal and it's Mm -hmm. not healthy. And I think it's our responsibility as anybody, as humans, to identify what am I angry about? How do I want to understand what just happened? What is it that I need to do that I can proactively reduce some of this anger? Do I need to work through this myself? Is this my issue? Is this something that I need to really think through and go talk to this person about? Sometimes we're just angry at the world Mm -hmm. because this happened to us. And that's understandable, but it's not a productive way to try and manage the challenges. Anger zaps us of energy Mm -hmm. and we want to have our energy for our growth and our healing and our positive movement. When I think of anger, I think of it as energy. It is. But a it big is ball it's, of it's it. a big ball of energy. How mm-hmm. do you want to direct it? And how are you going to use that energy for your own well-being and healing? So I hope that helps a little bit. Mm-hmm. Understanding that anger is normal, yeah. but also being willing to look at, am I angry because I'm afraid about something? Mm-hmm. I like that. Really looking at the root of it. Yes. Yes, we have. I think all of us have a responsibility to do that and whatever we're angry about. That's true. That's so true. And sometimes, like you said, Dr. Lubin, it could go back to what have we been thinking about? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That happens, too. We just replay this thing over and it builds and builds. And that's another way. So look at that. I think it's so helpful as a metaphor to Leah to think about your thoughts as waves in the ocean. They're always moving. I often say our mind is like a puppy. It never stays still, which is why people spend their lives learning how to meditate, how to quiet our mind. That is not an easy task. It's very tough and it's a lifelong pursuit, but we're talking about calming and recognizing and grounding when we can so that we are more able to then make the choices that are best for us. Thank you, Dr. Lubin. There are a couple more things I would like to touch on. I want to go back. You kind of mentioned this a little bit when we were talking about feeling guilty because our loved ones and family have to go through this with us. One of your speaking topics is cancer is a family affair. I totally agree with that. Tell the audience what you mean by that and how can a family heal through cancer together? I think the first word that comes to mind for me when I think of, as a metaphor, I use the metaphor of a cancer diagnosis is like dropping a pebble in a body of water. The ripples just continue to move out. And family can be all kinds of individuals, not just your blood relatives. Mm -hmm. So it's the people that care about you. I think the big focus for how do families heal together is to be willing to communicate, to be willing to talk about what is going on, to be willing to acknowledge that roles and responsibilities and other people's lives are changing because of this cancer, that caregivers 
are often going through many of the same emotions that cancer patients do. I think that there needs to be an acceptance of we are all in a process of trying to change and adjust. I think, for example, children need different information at different stages of development. And I won't go into all of those details, but recognizing that as the patient, people often need to take their cues from the patient. I think a lot of times there's a sense of I'm getting a sense that she or he's not really ready to talk about this or to be able to even to just say, I recognize how difficult this is for you. Let's talk about it when you're ready. But it's all about communication. It's really, really the key. And accepting that life may not exactly go back to the way it was and recognizing that we work together to try and find Again, this expression of new normal, but it is stress delay is always about change. I mean, you know, whatever the change Mm -hmm. is, this is a change for Mm -hmm. everyone who cares about you as a cancer patient and being able to acknowledge family meetings sometimes are very helpful. It's so helpful to have a confidant that as a patient, someone that you really know you can trust and support and recognizing, and this is another thing, and again, another whole conversation, but patients need to accept that they can't and they don't need to do this alone. No one needs to go through cancer alone. And even if your family is not supportive. And I have worked with people whose families are not supportive. That's true. Uh, There's a lot. There is a responsibility that you have to yourself to seek out the support that you need. Now, that's not always all that easy, but it is possible, whether it's through your doctor, whether you feel like you want to talk to somebody, whether it's a support group, whether it's an online support, whatever, there are resources. And obviously people who are listening to this podcast are taking an active form, but it's recognizing that we are dependent on other people. No man's an island, no one lives alone. I think a challenge like cancer really validates that. Again, every family is different. Every family needs something different. But coming to this as an acceptance of we are all going through a transition. How are we going to go through this together to best allow all of us to manage what's being asked of us? I often, just as a very quick aside, I often think that a lot of people do really well in one's larger community when the cancer patient gives someone a specific task, will you do this for me? It allows the person who cares about them to feel like they're doing something. And it also gives the patient an opportunity to get some of their needs met. Specific short-term kinds of expectations are often very well met. People will respond to that. So it's not an easy answer, but I do think the one word for it is you really got to learn how to communicate. You got to work at being able to tell other people what you need. Thank you, Dr. Lubin. I really like all the points that you touched on. And I really like how you said every family looks different and it doesn't necessarily have to be blood family and relatives, your friends can make up your family. And for many people, they do. So thank you for making that point. Before we end, you've talked about different points from your book. Please tell us more about your book or anything else that you'd like to share. Again, your book is called Your Journey Beyond Breast Cancer Tools for the Road. Tell the audience also, Dr. Lubin, how it can help women with breast cancer or really any cancer. 
The book is an interactive tool guide, meaning that each chapter addresses a particular topic, anxiety, depression, dealing with family, mindfulness, end-of-life issues, resiliency. And each topic is dealt with tools for the mind, the body, and the spirit recognizing that this is a holistic, whole person kind of approach. The book sort of directed, because over the years of my practice, although I've worked with many different types of cancer patients, many of them have been women, because as a psychologist, women are a lot quicker to go to therapy than, than men are, although I have certainly had my share of men often coming in with their wives for counseling, but nonetheless, <laughs> yeah. but the book addresses some of the specific issues that relate to men. For example, in one chapter, there's a lot about sexuality because of the impact that has not just for breast cancer, but does have for women going through cancer. The book, however, these concepts are really concepts that I think apply to anybody that has cancer. And yet, like I said, there is a slant And the examples are certainly women, but the book has been a compilation of the tools and the learnings that I have had over my career and really has just been my way of pulling it together for myself and a way of trying to give back in a small way. My patients have been my teachers. I don't say that lightly. They have taught me a lot about myself and about life. And I have really had the wonderful experience of seeing the strength and the resiliency of people in the darkest of times. And they've been an inspiration. They really have. I hope it's a helpful tool for people. And at this point, I'm focusing my energy on cancer survivorship. I retired from my private practice a couple (laughs) months ago and going to put all this direction in cancer survivorship. And I very much appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk with you today and to talk with others about this topic. And I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you, Dr. Lubin. I appreciate you so much. You are focusing, I believe, in an area of cancer that is critical, and that is post-treatment and into survivorship. That area is lacking. So we definitely need more people like you supporting survivors because it's not over. It's just a different phase of the journey. There's a lot of new normals that take place. Dr. Lubin, you and all your wisdom can help so many people. For people who are interested, more about the work that you do, how you could potentially help them, as well as your book, please tell them where they can find you. I have a website, www.manypaths2healing, and there is a way to contact me through that website. The website has, you can subscribe if you want, but there's lots of blogs. There are guided imagery. There are podcasts. There's all kinds of articles. I have just really tried to put it out there for people and would welcome people taking a look at it. Is your book available on your website also? You can click on from the website. It's on Amazon. It's out there. And the book is in paperback as well as digital. If someone wanted a digital, although I would say that I think it's not the kind of book that you would necessarily read from front to end, beginning to end. It's to use when you feel you need that tool. I often say cancer is a marathon, not a sprint. And as you pace yourself, Hopefully the book offers some tools that are relevant for you as to where you are on that journey. 
Thank you for sharing that because that's very important is being able to look at the table of contents or look in the back of the book and really figure out what tool will help you at that time instead of feeling like you have to go through each and every chapter to get what you need. So thank you for pointing that out. Sure. Thank you. Dr. Lubin, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. I want to thank you for all of your service over the years that you have put into helping people heal and just taking some time to talk with us today. It's been an honor. Thank you, Talia. My best to you and to all your listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.